to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. So, this morning we're going to be in Luke's Gospel, and I'm very excited for Luke. So we're going to be in Luke's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third one in, in the New Testament. And the last time we did the introduction to Luke. So if you weren't here, I would implore you, beg you to get the first teaching. Whenever I start a new book, I go heavily into detail. You know, we looked at the background, Dr. Luke, the Gentile. You know, what was his idea? Why did he uh, write this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? You know, what was going on? So we looked at the background. We looked at sort of a microcosm of society, which means we saw the priest Zacharias and his sort of attitude where he was in life and Mary, two completely different people but really representing a cross-section of society. So we talked about the two of them. I also talked about some of the criticisms of the Gospels that are out there. Very important, right? We live in that age. People are just, you know... I have to laugh about social media. Everyone's an expert on social media. Whatever article comes up, even in theology, all of a sudden everyone's a theology expert. So we looked at the two mutually exclusive criticisms. One is... um, Collusion and the other one is contradictions, and they are mutually exclusive. And people just throw them out at there, um, throw them at the Gospels, and quite frankly, they can't both be true because they're mutually exclusive. And I talked about how that doesn't work either. And then I even went into a little bit of one of the teachings I did in one of the women's ministries. Um, I was a guest speaker, and I taught on Mary, and I put some of that stuff in there. Mary is a very remarkable person in the scripture, and we'll talk more about her today. And today, the message is titled, Being a Part of God's Plan. Now, again, we're not that type of church where we tell people, well, come and be a spectator. We want you to be involved. We are the church collectively. And sometimes, somehow we've lost that in American Christianity. I want to go to something. I want to be entertained versus I want to be a part of God's solution. And that's the beautiful thing is that God can use everyone here watching on the live stream. And we're going to talk about even the qualifications that might surprise you. It's not like the world's qualifications. So being a part of God's plan. And we're also going to look at this in four parts. And that's what I normally do. I break it down into sections or parts so people can take notes, groupings uh, of the verses. And we're going to look at that. So Luke's gospel, chapter one, the conclusion, starting in verse 39. It says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, which wasn't very close to where she was without a car or train or public transportation. And she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. We talked about them last Sunday. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Elizabeth is already on her way in her pregnancy. John the Baptist is in her womb. The angel tells Mary that the Lord is going to do this incredible work miraculously where she's going to carry Jesus. 
So she goes to, we're going to talk about why she even went to visit Elizabeth and how she even, she even knew. Then it says, then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, referring to Jesus. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So right away, both ladies know that Jesus is, is Lord. They know that God, the son is going to be take on a human form and physically born into the world. So she said, it continues, for indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And I I know that um, I know a lot of women who had babies and you can certainly uh, attest to the movements of the child in your womb as as the child is developing. That's a miracle in itself. 45, blessed is, is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So the first part is Mary visits Elizabeth. So she travels from the north of Israel to the hill country in the south. And why? Well, you know, it's amazing. Gabriel, the angel, as he's telling Mary about this miracle, says that her relative Elizabeth is already pregnant with who's going to be John the Baptist. And I believe that God, through the angel Gabriel, provides comfort and understanding. Listen, both women would experience unusual miracles, and most people around them would not understand this. However, if anyone would understand Mary, it would be Elizabeth. And if anybody would understand Elizabeth, it would be Mary. So this is a perfect match, and God does this. You know, sometimes when we truly... And I don't mean going along with the Christian culture. I mean, when we truly step up to serve God in a way that he wants us to, the circle of support can tend to shrink. But God will provide those mature believers to bring us together to help comfort one another. And God knows that we're social creatures. So you have this bond between Mary and Elizabeth over the situation, over these two miraculous births that most people would probably not completely understand, especially with Mary. Verse 41, the babe or John leaps in Elizabeth's womb, which again, we covered this last Sunday, was unusual for this dispensation regarding the Holy Spirit. However, in the dispensation or the age that we live in, as believers, when we come to Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You know, And again, back then it was like, wow, God's Holy Spirit, he's here, he's working. And here, I wonder sometimes as, as Christians, do we take that for granted? That we're actually sealed with a part of God? Do we use that? Do we um, take advantage in a good way for God's glory? Right? And I don't have to tell you, the babe in the womb, that life is precious. There's not a whole lot of tissue that separates the alive baby in the womb from the baby who comes out, right? There's not a lot of tissue that separates those two worlds, right? Life is precious. I have to tell you that when, um, years ago, when, you know, my son's now 22, but when he was in my wife's womb, I, I would work shift work and she'd wait up for me. And she'd be in the living room, the way our old house was configured. And I come in the front door and, you know, we would greet each other. And my son in the womb would hear, I, I, maybe because I have a deep voice, uh, but he would hear my voice patterns compared to my wife, who she, he's with all the time, right? Even It's pretty wild to think about. And when I would start to speak, my wife would say, he's moving. 
He's responding to your voice. So it's such a, you know, it's pregnancy is just such a miracle. It's such an honor among women to be able to do that. It's very exciting. So both Elizabeth and Mary had difficult ministries, but what do we see here? Faith and rejoicing, faith and rejoicing. And as believers, what do we rejoice in? You know, before I was a Christian, if I got something new, whatever, an item, something physical, I'd be really excited. But then, you know, the excitement wears off and you want something new again. You know, this is the world. But what we rejoice in is the fact that God, you know, wants to be intimately involved in our lives. You know, that's that's cause for excitement. And Mary and Elizabeth would be honored to give birth to two people that would literally change the world for the last 2,000 years. And I don't, I don't mean because sometimes organized religion becomes powerful. I don't mean that kind of stuff. I mean that Jesus and John the Baptist literally changed the world for 2,000 years. They gave us hope. Jesus gave us salvation. And Jesus, even as we get further into this gospel tells us future things that are our future about the world. So when we see everyone seem to lose their minds today in 2021 and 22, we can hold on to that hope because we know the truth and our redemption draws near, the full redemption. We see women elevated at the beginning of of the gospel and at the end of this gospel. But this is a picture of confirmation between these two women. And folks, When we go and serve the Lord, and I'll speak from experience, we can actually go out and be a little bit unsteady. You know, a lot of questions, concerns, and you you just know that God is, is moving you in a certain direction. And maybe there's choices that we have to make, right, when God uses us. And we know that our life could change. And again, for me, even becoming the pastor and starting as the interim and to see, they want to see how I did for three months and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's a little, you know, it's a little nerve wracking to be quite honest with you. You know, it's, and I, I didn't go into this field thinking, oh, I know, I know what I'm doing. I actually thought I don't know what I'm doing. And it's like, God said, okay, you're hired. You know what I'm saying? But I, I can tell you from experience that the mildest form of confirmation is a true blessing and encouragement. And when we go out and serve the Lord, God will put us with people that want to encourage us. You know, I love it when somebody says, hey, the Lord's put this on my heart and I'm still formulating it and I want to do this. And and I'm like so excited for them that the Lord is working with them and showing them things. Right. Continuing on verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who was mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her, meaning Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her house.
so two out of four is Mary's Magnificat. That's, that doesn't mean she had a magnificent cat. It's actually a Latin word. And what it means is to glorify, to magnify, to extol. Again, not Mary. Some people read this wrong, but Jesus, right? Verse 47, she says, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. What is she telling us? That she needed a savior. And you know what? Only sinners need a savior. So there's a lot of poor Mary. I mean, if you were to sit down and talk to her, maybe we'll get to chat with her when we get to heaven. And probably the way she would explain her life and what she's been through would be very different than religion that's been taking sides with her for 2,000 years. And let me, let me go into that. There's extremes on the belief of who Mary was. Some look at her as a co-redemptrix, as on equal par with Jesus himself to worship or to pray to her. When we actually look at the scripture and what she says, she would be horrified by that thought. No, 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 no. I'm carrying the Savior. I'm not the Savior. But on the other extreme, because of the first extreme, some just ignore Mary. They don't mention her at all. And can I tell you something? Both of those positions are wrong. Mary was just a humble person who loved God and wanted to serve him. That's the truth about Mary. That's the biblical Mary. That's the real Mary. A lot of biblical history and scriptural references in this song, poem, praise. And you could even say that, and this isn't God's fault, that at the time the culture was patriarchal. It was hypocritical, especially the religious system. However, that didn't stop Mary from learning about God. She didn't have the opportunities that other people had. However, she still sought out the things of God. And you can hear this in her Magnificat, her extolling the Lord. You know, in American culture, in in the Christian culture, what do we do with the resources we've been given? You know, in in some houses you can go and you could find these beautiful, thick, you know, six-inch thick Bibles, antiques. They are on the coffee table. They're in the library. And you can see that there's like a half an inch of dust on there. You know that they haven't been taken out. I have like, um, I have probably 20 different Bibles, study Bibles, probably actually more than that in my home. Do we take advantage of what God has given us for free in this country? Because, you know, I look a lot at the overseas news. I, I talk to a lot of missionaries. I know people that have been in Afghanistan, Christian missionaries, and the secret police would come and they'd have to have their Bibles buried in the ground. In China, they have state churches, and everything with the communist regime is a facade. But the true Christians who can't get Bibles, right? There's so many people in China, so many Christians, that they actually memorize whole pages, whole chapters, right? And they, they do this thing with the brotherhood. You know, I've got Ephesians. Well, I've got Galatians. And they get together and they worship the Lord. And they do it from memory, And in America, we just have Bibles everywhere at our disposal. Believe it or not, there's Christians in North Korea, in Iran, in these oppressive regimes. But the Christian culture, sometimes we take what God has given us and the freedoms in this country for granted. But that, my friends, could change. So Mary had the deck stacked against her. But she knew, when you talk to this young lady, she knew who God was. She knew the truth about Abraham and the history of Israel. 
She just knew it because nothing was going to stop this woman, including society, from knowing her God. Amen? Amen. Stuff is just so powerful. Verse 48, she said, the Lord has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. She's speaking about herself. You know, everything in here is God is great and I'm humbly here to serve him. You know, are we men servants? Are we maid servants? Right. And again, you can you can go on the Internet and find all these so-called Christian ministries and they'll tell you when you pray, you know, pray for you to hit the lottery, pray to get the new car, pray to get the mansion on the cul-de-sac. It's just weird. It's not Christianity. Right. When we pray, we should pray, Lord, what is your will for my life? You know, how do you want me to serve you? These are really true prayers. The aforementioned are immature, and you don't have the full grasp of the Bible when you start praying these things. God is not Santa Claus. He's God. And when we're praying right, we understand. i got to be honest with you. You know, I, in the early days, I read a lot of the Bible and say, you know, I, I kind of, I got the hang of a lot of this stuff. You know, maybe one day I'd like to be in ministry. I'd like to be um, an assistant pastor, an associate, because I get things done. You know, I'm used to getting things done. That was my gift. And God's like, no, you're going to be the senior pastor. And I'm like, no, no, no. Maybe I mumbled when I prayed, but I don't want to be the guy at the top. I want to be the go-getter, you know, just go get, I can, I can do this, you know, go get that. Just go set up. Yeah, I can do it. Like we kind of went back and forth, me and the Lord, and my wife was on God's side. And I'm like, man, there's nobody. Everybody's against me. No. You know, I kind of, I kind of got into the role and it took a long time for me to be comfortable. But the truth is at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what, Lord, I just want to serve you. I mean, if this is the position, if this is what's open, you know, I, I kind of, so you could ask my wife about that, those conversations, but I just wanted to serve him. Um, and you know, sometimes he puts us in a place that'll stretch us that he, that we say, no, I can't do that. It's almost like you say, I can't do that, Lord. I can't do that. And he goes, exactly. You're the perfect person for that position. And like, no, you, you, I mumbled. I can't do that. Now in the world, they're looking for people who are prideful, who are arrogant about their abilities. And they're like, you, that's your position. But in, in God's economy, it's different. And that's the awesome thing about him. Verse 51 through 53, God's reaction via Mary to the proud versus the humble. James 4, 6, it says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Right? Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall, Proverbs tells us. You know, I don't take any um, pleasure in seeing the pride fall. But sometimes, you know, you see a famous person, be it a politician or whatever, and you, you just say to yourself, this person's destined to crash. They're, they're going up so high, so fast. They're so full of themselves that they're going to they're gonna hit. They're going to they're gonna blow out one of their burners and they're going to come hurtling down. And you know what? Hopefully when that happens, they look up and say, all right, God, I'm ready to listen to you. You know, we want to see everyone come to the right conclusion in the end. A word on humility. Mary was young, um, and we talked about the sacrifice that her and Joseph made for Jesus. That was the sacrifice of poor people. She probably didn't have the education opportunities of many around her, but she submitted to the Lord, and she did it honorably. 
And that's the reason why millions, maybe hundreds of millions of girls over the last 2,000 years have been named Mary, Miriam, Maria, or Marie. Is it better to have everything in this world, even a street name or a, ho- a college wing or a hospital wing named after you, or is it better to have your name written in the book of life, as we see in Revelation a few times? I know what my answer is. Is it better to trust God and not have everything you want here, but to be greeted by the Savior when we step into the kingdom and he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Welcome, enjoy the joy of the Lord. And to sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 21 tells us, I, I recently did a funeral for somebody uh, that, that I knew and that people were close to. And I, I love to speak about Revelation 21, especially in a eulogy, where it says that God will personally, there's a time in the future, he will personally wipe every tear from our eyes. That's personal. He'll heal our emotional scars. No more death, no more crying, no more sorrow, the Bible says for the former things have passed away. And that's what I want for my eternity. Amen? Verse 57, we continue. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Now so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. That's what you did back in the day. And his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father. Remember, he couldn't speak because of initially his disbelief. They made signs to the father. He's sort of like sign language. What do you want him to be called? So now they bypass mom. They don't like her answer, and they go to dad. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, his name is John. And they all marveled. I could imagine Zacharias being so frustrated because his wife was saying the truth, and they weren't listening to her. I can picture him taking it going, his name is John. (laughs) No more discussion. He wasn't going to take a second chance after what happened the first time in his dealings with the angel, right? Immediately after him writing this, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear. Now, this word, I believe it's phobos. I have to look it up in the Greek, but it takes a connotation of of great respect, right? The, The fear of God, the respect and the reverence for God, which is sort of being lost in our culture today. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. Remember Zacharias, for months he was mute, he couldn't speak. And as soon as he wrote that, his tongue was loosed, or whatever the affliction was, and he was able now to speak freely, and they were probably shocked. For months this man's been writing things and making signs, and now he can speak. So there's a great respect that falls among the people, because they only know that God could have done this. And all those who heard them kept in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Pretty neat. So three out of four is John the Baptist is born. Right? Elizabeth says his name. And the the husband backs her up. Even though they're kind of arguing with, with her. 
So Zacharias now, and if we remember from last Sunday, he was struck mute, right? He was, had this, this dialogue with the angel. He should have known better. He was in a place of honor and privilege, right? So because of his unbelief, it's, it's a great disappointment. For a time, he can't speak. And we, again, we don't know exactly what happened. However, he's come to a great realization of faith and trust in the living God. And sometimes it's a learning curve, isn't it? You know, it, it takes a while for us to, and I'm going to go into that too, but I could just say this, the mouth of the doubtful heart was silenced. This is Zacharias. The mouth of the doubtful heart was silenced. Out of that same heart, which changed to belief and faith, that same mouth was opened. Isn't that amazing? See, God is the God of second chances. Sometimes we make little boo-boos. Sometimes we make big boo-boos. But you know what? God is always there to mend our wounds. And really, with the change of heart, can determine how quickly that happens, or if it happens at all. There's this one portion of scripture in Mark 9.24, and I believe... The gentleman's child is afflicted, if I remember correctly. And uh, he, Jesus says, he, he's going to do this miracle. And he says to the man, do you believe? Watch what the man says without skipping a beat. He says, quote, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Now, some would say, what is wrong with you? You're, you're like a walking contradiction. How can you say that you believe that Jesus is going to do it, but you're asking him to help with your unbelief? Folks, that's the human condition, right? We're sinners. We're still marred by what we were born into, into the human race. Sin entered the world, death entered the world, and all kinds of other things came with that. And even as believers sometimes, we know that God exists. We know he hears our prayers. We know that there's some type of plan that he's formulating so we believe, we believe in God. Ask any Christian. But we struggle with unbelief. And how can that be? Because in certain circumstances, we're like, I don't know how this is going to happen. I'm really sad. It's been keeping me up at night for months. I'm exhausted, Lord. And, and folks, I think when we come to church, we should be real. We shouldn't come in here and, and put on a facade that we think everybody else will like. You know, stay after service. Have somebody pray with you. Talk to somebody. If there's any place that that should be received, it should be here. Amen? So, we can be both at times. We believe, we know. As the expression goes, Satan doesn't think, he, he doesn't work with his minions to try to get people of faith to not believe in God. But he tries to just cripple them and hamstring them. He tries to tie them up, put obstacles in the way. That, to the day they die, they're always going to believe that God exists. But make them completely ineffective. And that's actually, for him, a better strategy, isn't it? Because we can succumb to that. Right? It's so important to stay, to stay close to the Lord. Verse 67. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying, saying... Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, Zacharias is speaking about his son John's ministry, who paves the way for God the Son, right? But he's sort of prophesying about his son, but most of it is about Jesus, right? His son was just a tool, a vehicle, to get the people prepared to receive Christ and his message of salvation. 
And, you know, you, you look at this in the corporate world. You look at this in uh, even social strata and structures. Uh, people want to be number one. John was great being number two. He wanted to be... He wanted to be that guy that did everything he could to get Jesus's ministry. And he's even said to his followers, they, it's tempting, isn't it? John, you're great. We haven't met this Jesus, but you. And he said, I must decrease, but he, Jesus, must increase. That is so awesome. So dad gets it too. He's not saying my son is going to surpass Jesus. He, he knows. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what you know is that Jesus is number one. I hear a lot of things. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Some people throw that around all the time. What are they saying when they're filled with the Holy Spirit? Is Jesus number one? Then listen a little deeper. If Jesus isn't and they're elevated, then I'm not so sure they're hearing from the Holy Spirit. Continuing on, verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, we have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Again, this wasn't going to happen through his son. It's going to happen through Jesus, 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit. And was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Four out of four is the prophecy of John's ministry. But it really exemplifies Jesus' ministry. And listen... In American culture, listen, I love, I served my country for 25 years in law enforcement. You, you raise your hand, defend the Constitution. That's all me, patriotic. But there's a lot of things about our culture that are toxic. And even in, in the Christian culture, when Christmas comes around, you know, some families, they look forward to so many things except the remembrance that Jesus, the Savior, came into the world. These people got it. You start reading the prophecies. You start reading what Mary says, Zacharias, Joseph, Elizabeth. It's just amazing stuff. You know, what, what, is, what does the Christmas season mean? If Jesus isn't the center of it, then it's become completely commercialized. You know what I'm saying? The Savior has come into the world. This guy gets it. So four, prophecy of John's ministry. You know, there are wrong reasons to get into ministry. Somebody very close to me, uh, because they didn't, don't know the Bible well, they went to a church, and this lady was so excited, and she said, oh, the church, what kind of church is this? The church got together and bought the pastor a Bentley. How much is a Bentley? Is that like $200,000 car? I don't even know. It's way out of my zone, you know what I'm saying? It's way out of my zone. And like, and this is what happens, right? The Christian culture, 
is, is this, is this, what, what, do you guys teach the Bible there? Like, what did you learn last Sunday? What did you come away with? Except give me money because it's the Bentley fund and the thermometer is out on the front lawn. You know, that's not the reason to get into ministry. We get into ministry to serve the living God. And sadly, there's many charlatans out there that get into ministry for various reasons. And if we're not in the Bible, we won't understand. I could be deceiving you right now. That's why you all have Bibles. So you can check you want the fact checkers, right? Uh, the church fact checkers. Go in the Bible. There's, your, there's the original fact checkers. Today, everything is, you know, is just controversial, political. But the Bible was the original fact checker. What is this guy saying from the pulpit? And, and you know, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you might say to yourself, you know, I, I have a check about this. Something's not right. Open up the Bible or say, where are the Bibles? Wait a minute. This guy's saying this stuff. He references scripture, never really quotes scripture in context. And there's no Bibles in this church, church, right? What am I to, to make of that? You know, God gave you a sense of discernment for a reason. So verse 80 John also was brought into the desert. Ah, those not so glamorous, glamorous ministries, right? And you see this too. Some get into ministries so they can, you know, see Europe and see the Mediterranean, see all these parts of the world on the church's dole, right? Or do we get into ministry to minister to people, to bring the word to them, to share the truth? A lot of it has become corrupted and it's very sad. And the desert was a place where John could, you know, at what age did he go into the desert? I don't know. Um, certainly he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I think at one point he probably said, and I'm kind of putting my paraphrase in here, whether it's true or not, I don't know. Mom, dad, it's time. You know, thank you for everything you did for me, but I must go now. And he's in the desert. He's ministered to by God. And we see a lot of these desert experiences, don't we? Even the, the wilderness wandering with the children of Israel, they had to learn some lessons in these barren places. Jesus, before he starts his public ministry, goes into a secluded place. And folks, sometimes we need to spend time away from the corrupting influences of society, especially our society. You know, if we're immersed in the news and social media and the, the local gossip, it's so sometimes hard to really hear correctly from the things from God because there's, it's like distractions. The signal is trying to come through, but there's all this static. And sometimes we need to go to a place where the signal is really clear and there's no static. And this is what John did. I, I personally believe... I don't know this to be a fact that if John didn't spend that time in the desert, he had such an important ministry. Jesus speaks about him as a prophet, that he was really one of the most important prophets because he was, you know, uh, leveling the mountains, filling the valleys. And these are metaphorical. He was preparing the way for the one to come to bring to salvation. And if he was corrupted, can I tell you something? You ask Jewish sources, right? You go back into history, read some of the Jewish writers. And they'll say, yeah, in the first century, our system was corrupt. You know, the, the religious leaders were taking care of the rich and ignoring the poor. They were, they were stealing. They were doing things they shouldn't have been. And we see this in the Old Testament, right? We see this in the New Testament. When the church started, some people were, were doing that stuff and God had to deal with them. Uh, so John had to go to a place where he couldn't be corrupted by worldly influences. 
And man, every Christian needs to understand that. You know, as we go through life, we, we kind of built up this almost like a dirt layer spiritually of corrupting influences. We've got to wash it off. We need the Holy Spirit. We need time in prayer. We need time to be with mature Christians. Just have kind of those discussions. Amen? So, I, I kind of, maybe I'll come up, it's so funny, at my age, you know, memes, right? A meme, it's the younger generation. You ever see those memes that say, um, what the world thinks I do, what I really do? They're really funny. So, um, what the world thinks of, of Christianity. And there's probably some, you could, you know, if you, if you make one, you could use my, my idea and you can do whatever you want with it. But what the world thinks of Christianity. And there's probably some weird things that you would see. Listen, I have friends who are atheists. And they point out some of these things. And it's, you know, I'm witnessing to them and I'm trying to share the truth. And they're like, well, what about this? And I'm like, listen, I agree with you there. I'm going to concede to it. That's not Christianity. What does it really look like? It's found in this book. That's why he gave it to us. So the sermon title is being part of God's plan. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that it's available to everyone here. If I do a character profile of any of these folks in the Bible, they all had flaws, every single one of them. And we have flaws, but they're no different than us. You want to be used by God? You can be. We also see it wasn't terribly glamorous or easy. You know, could you imagine Elizabeth in her mind thinking, I'm up there in years. I'm going to have this child. And again, Believers believe. They have faith and trust in God, but then they struggle with certain things. You know, I'm, I'm an older woman. I'm going to give birth. Um, what if me or my husband's not around when he's, you know, in the formative years? I don't know. Is that what she thought? I don't know. I'm just kind of putting that in there, right? Who's going to take care of him? I'm sure eventually they came to the conclusion that God would. Mary. Mary is shocked by the words of this angel. She's minding her own business. And then Gabriel visits her and says, hey, um, your life is going to completely take a detour. You know, this is what's going to happen. Then the love of her life, Joseph, wants to put her away for divorce because he didn't get the memo yet. You see what I'm saying? The love of her life, Mary, oh, I want to marry this guy. He's not, he's not alone with the program. He was gonna, the Bible tells us he's going to secretly put her away for divorce. Well, listen, I know how babies are made. How, how are you pregnant? Don't tell me some angel came to you. I, again, I don't know the discussion. But then the angel comes to Joseph and says, pump your brakes. This is a plan by the father. And then everything's good again. But who knows? Was there gossip in the neighborhood? Joseph is on board. Maybe the neighbors aren't. Oh, yeah, right. Some angel came to you. Think about this. Then they go to Bethlehem, which wasn't easy while she was pregnant. Then they got to go to Egypt because Herod's losing his mind. And the angel has to divert them so that, you know, the child makes it to, to, to birth, right? And then they go home again. Imagine you're Mary. She probably was a combination of maybe frightened at times, confused. Maybe she had a hundred questions. You know, God doesn't always give us a, a detailed, comforting let me strike that one. He doesn't always give us a, and that's what we are as human beings. You know, that's me. I like to organize. I like to get things done. You know, when God provides a plan for my life, I like to know all the steps and he doesn't give me all the steps and that's his prerogative. But he does ask us to be faithful. He does ask us to be obedient and he does ask us to trust him. If he told us everything in, in perfect succession, where would the faith and the trust be? We would just know it. 
I'll leave you with this before we close. Second Chronicles 16, 9 in the Old Testament still applies today. I love this. For the eyes of the Lord, the eyes of God, run to and fro throughout the whole earth. What's he looking for? To show himself, himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Is that you? Is that me? God is always searching the planet and he gave us free will. Some people don't even want to come to him, let alone be used by him. And then some that do come to him still don't want to be used by him. They just want to go on with their merry life and when they die, they go to heaven. Right? So the, the pool of people is narrowing that God can use only because he gave us free will. We could say no or we could say yes. I'll tell you this, that... I think over the last two Sundays, we've seen some qualifications, and it isn't overeducated. It isn't come from a rich uh, family. It isn't that you're super good with, you know, with your hands. You're super talented. It's qualifications are humility and willingness, and he'll do the rest. And let me just leave this with you, is that the more we see the things that are going on, especially in our world and in our country, this world needs Jesus, doesn't it? Peace on earth, goodwill towards mankind. Where is that? Well, largely the world has rejected it. And the more the global community and American culture becomes post-Christian, things will get worse. I will tell you that. That is, a, that is an inverse relationship. You suppress the Prince of Peace, you're going to have a lack of peace. And that's what we're seeing. And none of these politicians anywhere get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. And that's why we're in the position we are in the world, the brink of war, the Middle East, you know, China, Taiwan, Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Iran. It's, it's all over the place, folks. Internal turmoil in, in, in the continent of Africa and the Asian continent, you know, the Asian countries. This is a serious thing going on in, in this world. This world needs Jesus. And you know what God is looking for? He's looking for people who are willing. People like you and me that say, <laughs> I don't know what I could give you, but I'll do it. You're hired. Amen? Because this world needs Jesus. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.